Welcome to the Dylan Taunts Podcast. What is it about Bob Dylan? Today we are talking to Allison Rapp. Allison is a music and culture journalist based in New York City. Her work has appeared in Brooklyn Magazine, Rock Cellar, City Limits, and more. She currently works as an assistant editor at Ultimate Classic Rock, where she's interviewed the likes of Peter Frampton, Roger McGuinn, John Oates, and others, and surprisingly not Daryl Hall. She tweets at Allison Rap 22 That's two L's, two P's, and two twos. Welcome, Allison. Great to have you. Hi, thank you for having me. This is good to be here. Yeah, wonderful. So tell me, what, what is it about Bob Dylan? Oh my gosh, what, what isn't it about Bob Dylan, really? Um, I mean, from a strictly personal level, I think for me, Bob Dylan is very much a nostalgia thing for me. I mean, I grew up, I should be totally transparent, like from the very beginning, I'm 23 years old, not a whole lot of people, I guess, know that about me when they see my background and kind of music that I write about and sort of interests that I have, but I'm 23. Um, but I grew up with Bob Dylan playing through the speakers at home a lot. I mean, that was what my dad played a lot growing up around the house and in the car. He had copies of Blonde on Blonde and Highway 61 and a lot of those earlier records. But he also, you know, kept going and there were copies of Love and Theft in Modern Times also playing. So I kind of got the best of both worlds there. Um, Traveling Wilburys were a big staple on the house, too. I mean, I can remember being a kid and my dad trying to teach me like how to recognize the different voices of the different Wolverines when they sang on songs. And I don't know how many other kids grew up doing that, but I did. Um, and so, you know, it was a really big part of my childhood. It was a really big part of my connection to my dad. Um, and then when I was 18, I graduated high school and moved to New York City for college. And so I kind of started getting a little bit more interested in kind of Dylan's New York City and um, what that looked like for him and seeing a lot of the places that he frequented. Um, and, you know, even before I got as heavily into Dylan as I am, I always wanted to be a writer. And I think just naturally writers tend to gravitate towards Dylan, whether they even really recognize it or not. Um, there's just such a depth and a scope to him that begs for these conversations to be held. And I wanted to be a part of those conversations so much. Um, you know, and he's the kind of artist that I think is still going to be sparking questions and debates and conversations for at least the next several, several, several decades to come. Um, so for me, you know, it's that nostalgia, it's the longevity of the career, it's the elusiveness of him, it's the malleability of his career, it's all of these things um, that just drew me to him like a magnet almost. Oh, okay, great. So, so as a writer, you feel you feel obligated to think about Dylan. I mean, obligated makes it sound a little bit intense, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I've always also been a really big lyrics person, just generally speaking, no matter who the artist. So I think that was, that was a huge draw for me. I mean, I can, I can relate to a lot of artists that way, even if I don't, I have a pretty casual musical background. I mean, I can play some instruments or whatever, but I, I don't, I don't have a super technical background. So lyrics have kind of always been my, my go-to um, avenue into those things. Yeah, I've noticed doing these interviews, there's been a few themes that have come up. And one of them is the lyrics being one of the main draws, um, which makes sense with Dylan. But I don't imagine that's universal. But among the people I've been interviewing, it certainly has been very common. So can can you tell us a little more about yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, that that's a bit of it. I grew up, I'm from Buffalo, New York, originally, before I moved to New York. Um, and so, like I said, you know, my dad had a lot of these kind of Americana records playing when I was growing up, Dylan, Tom Petty, um, CSNY, a lot of that stuff. 
Um, and then, you know, I tell people all the time that I really did get kind of both sides of the ocean growing up, musically speaking. My mom was a really big Peter Frampton fan and Led Zeppelin and David Bowie and a lot of those kinds of people. Um, so I just totally absorbed that growing up and didn't let it go, I guess, the way that some people might have. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, I moved to New York in 2017 to get my degree in journalism here, and I stayed ever since. I didn't necessarily anticipate ending up in music journalism. I wanted to work in journalism, but, you know, not to get too deep into it, but I felt like music journalism is a pretty specific niche, especially these days, and it's an industry that has its ups and downs and doesn't always... Um, provide the kind of stability that I know a lot of writers, you know, are seeking. So I kind of avoided it for a little while until I started, you know, doing some freelancing here and there. One of my first interviews ever, my first big interview was with um, David Knopfler, the younger brother of Mark Knopfler. The other Knopfler. The other Knopfler, yes. The other Knopfler who got tired of the other one. <laughs> um, and we had a really great interview and I did a whole piece with him for $25. That was the break that I got <laughs> for the article that I did. But I remember talking to him even at the time about how he and Mark went to go see Dylan in 1965 in Newcastle. And it totally changed their perspective on, you know, what music could sound like and what you could be as a performer and as an artist in general. So yeah, I mean, from there, I kind of just got the bug. I loved doing it and I've warmed my way into this circle now and I, I love it. It's been a lot of fun to have conversations with um, people over the last couple of years that I probably would not have met otherwise. You described your Dylan journey a little bit more, but could you go a little more into it specifically? What's your Dylan Rubicon? When, what's that, that moment there you just, there was no going back? Wow, I love it phrased like that, my Dylan Rubicon. Um, it's so hard to pinpoint because I feel like there's been a couple of different small moments over the years where it's kind of reinforced that idea that I'm I'm really into this. Um, but I remember the first time that I saw Dylan, which would have been in the fall of 2017, um, when Mavis Staples was the opening act for that that U.S. run of shows. Um, and again, I realized that like some people are going to hear that and they're going to think, man, like she she's only been around for a couple of years, like 2017. That's so recent. And it is, obviously, but I've only had so much time to work with. Um, I remember going to that show by myself, like I wasn't necessarily a super fan of any kind. I didn't do a whole lot of research before I went. I knew that Dylan didn't play by the rules, so to speak, you know, in his live shows. I, I knew that, um, but I don't think I really understood to what extent or what that would actually look like in practice. And I went by myself and I was at the Nassau Coliseum. And I remember just being totally and completely enthralled, like, 100% mesmerized with what was going on on stage. And there was an older guy down the aisle from me who like, very clearly was having the opposite experience <laughs> that I was. And he was, you know, like out loud kind of complaining about the fact that he couldn't really understand what was going on. He couldn't recognize the songs. He didn't, you know, it just like nothing about what was going on stage was interesting to him in that way. And I'm sure there's a lot of other Dylan fans who have experiences just like this one of somebody sitting near them and not having a good time. <laughs> and I just remember not caring or not thinking that it mattered, you know, and I was, it didn't matter to me whether or not the songs were recognizable or whether I really even understood what was going on on the stage. And I, I hesitate to say that I got it, you know, at the time, because I don't necessarily think there was anything to get. But I was 18. I had just moved to New York. I didn't know anybody or really anything about being there. And here was Dylan on stage, this person that I knew that I liked, whose music that I knew that I liked. And it just completely changed my perspective of like, 
you know, the power of time and history and reinterpretation and what it means to think again, essentially, you know, um, and that whatever the guy's thoughts were down the aisle didn't matter. And it clearly didn't matter to Dylan and it didn't matter to me. And that was when I kind of realized like, oh, like this is sinking in on a deeper level, you know, than I ever really expected. That, that, all, that whole experience of the audience members who don't appreciate you know, him, him changing the songs, the lyrics, the music, the arrangements, um, is a, you see that all the time. I mean, I've seen shows where people just literally walk out grumbling, um, you know, and, but, um, you know, and I get where they're coming from. It's, it's a a whole different aesthetic and they should, they should do some research before they go. That's what I would suggest. Or even, you know, if you're that upset, like the concert's not that long, <laughs> you know, it's like you live and learn in some ways, but you're right. I mean, I, I, I do get it on a fundamental level. I understand why that's, why that's upsetting to some people, but I think, you know, at the age that I was in the headspace that I was, um, and especially, you know, not necessarily having as in depth of a relationship with Dylan yet laid the kind of groundwork for me to have that experience in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And I, 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 and I would imagine that the vast majority of people who are going to listen to this are going to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yes, I would imagine. So the, that guy is not going to listen to this. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So I'm going to, I'm going to venture a guess. You're, so based on what you're saying, you're, you're on the younger side of the Bob Dylan fan base, right? Not going to judge you. That's great. So wh- what is your, what is your take on Dylan fandom across the generations? Oh, this is a great question. I mean, I, you know, just off the bat have been, it's been so exciting to meet a whole lot of these people that I, even if it's virtually a lot of younger Dylan fans that I would not have met otherwise. Um, I think the biggest misconception that I get when people find out that I cover what I do or I write about what I do is that, you know, I can't possibly like know any of the same things things that they do. Um, And I often find myself kind of reminding them and also myself that, you know, at one point in time, Bob Dylan was 23 years old. He was the same age that I am. And he was the same age that a lot of these younger people who are listening to him are now, Um, which obviously isn't to say that Bob Dylan at 23 is the same person that I am right now at 23, because I certainly don't think that. But I've never tended to categorize art of any kind, music or any other genre in that way, these sort of boxes of like younger generation, older generation. And I've found it really fascinating, especially to have conversations with younger fans now about how, you know, we grew up with having Dylan's entire catalog at the touch of an iPod button, which is like a totally wild concept to think about. You know, it it separates us undeniably from the people who have these lived experiences. But for us to be able to travel through Dylan's catalog, however we want, and sometimes that looks like starting in the middle in 1983. And sometimes that looks like starting um, with rough and rowdy ways and working your way backwards, something like that. But getting to kind of chart your own path through Dylan's catalog and have everything right there at your fingertips, I think is a really unique and special way to go through the catalog of somebody like Dylan in particular. I mean, I think the same could be true of a lot of other artists, but with Dylan in particular, when you have this kind of wealth of information at your fingertips, it can be overwhelming to a certain extent, but it can be really cool to kind of chart your own path through that in a way that, you know, people who physically grew up with him through the years didn't necessarily do. There are pros and cons to both sides, but I've, I've just found it really fascinating to to go through it that way myself and to have conversations about other um you know, other fans who have gone through that journey too. Yeah, I love that that I that idea of just having the whole catalog right there. 
and being able to dip into the, the yeah. Into it. So, quick follow up. Um, you know, so since then, Dylan has come out with a new album. Yes. So he's at it, right? So that's a new experience, right? He's 100%. At it what 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 and, and he's actually come out with a couple albums, but you know a, a new album a, an album of new material right mm -hmm. so what um what's your thoughts on rough and rowdy ways how did you experience that wow i loved rough and rowdy ways um i remember when the first when murder most foul dropped and that that was literally like start of the pandemic and i had gone home to buffalo to kind of wait out the worst of the you know first couple of months I remember like doing so I was probably doing something incredibly mundane or whatever around the house and seeing the timestamp on it, the 17 minutes and thinking, he's at it again. Like he's, he's on it again. Here we go. And again, just kind of having similar to the moment where I first saw him in concert, having this moment of like, just pure mesmerization of like what was going on, like in my earbuds and thinking, man, it's 2023. This man is, you know, 80 years old, 79, however old he was at the time. And he is still finding it within himself to tap into that level of creativity that we have all been so impressed by for decades. I was super surprised. I hadn't been expecting a New Dylan record at all. Um, I had kind of, you know, frankly, I had expected him to be quiet for the pandemic. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure why, but I really did. Um, and then when the whole album came out, I mean, I just remember thinking that the best people that he could have possibly had on that record were on that record. I mean, the lineup of that group in particular, I thought was so, so, so strong. And it wasn't necessarily about Bob Dylan finding like the best players in the world. It was about finding the best players for that album. And I just was completely blown away. I thought the songwriting was incredible. I loved, I thought his voice sounded so good. It was the best I'd heard it, you know, in, in years. So I also remember immediately thinking, man, I can't wait to hear these songs live. And I hope he does. And then he did. Yeah. So we had a little wait. We did. Yeah. I, I had a very similar experience with Rough and Rowdy Ways. I mean, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Exactly. Um, the response in the Dylan community was, you know, people just going nuts over Murder Most Foul being mm -hmm. It was so confusing. Yeah. And so, yeah, so different from what we had been used to for the last couple of years. You know, obviously that was just a, not a total 180, but enough of a 180 that it, it really was surprising. Yeah. And it was so odd. It, it wasn't, it didn't even necessarily presage an, an album, right? Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, this is a one-off, right? <laughs> yeah. I, well, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, I remember thinking at the time, like, man, like, Bob had a lot of thoughts about JFK. Like, that's probably it. Like, he probably got it out of his system. And like, that's all right. Like, got it done. Was not expecting the rest of that to come, come follow. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're a music journalist. Um, I read your piece on the Bob Dylan Center. It was quite good. And, um, you know, I had to chuckle, though, at that, that opening line. You said, uh, many have tried to get to the bottom of Bob Dylan throughout his 60-year career. No one has succeeded. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think that, human, you know, anyone who was opening that article for the most part is maybe someone who's trying to get to the bottom of Bob Dylan. I mean, people in general and music journalists specifically are always trying to get to the bottom of artists, no matter what, to, you know, know everything about them, to know what makes them tick, what keeps them up at night, all those different things, how they got from point A to point B. And obviously, a, a large part of my job is to do that, is to chronicle that in some ways. And I think that for some artists that's a lot easier than others for some artists it makes a lot more sense to do that than for others 
Um, and that doesn't necessarily make those other artists any less talented or interesting or important or influential or anything like that. Um, but I think that Dylan confuses a lot of people. He frustrates a lot of people. He makes people ask a lot of questions. He makes them uncomfortable a lot, sometimes to the point where, you know, people are willing to write him off. And all of that just makes people want to get to the bottom of him even more and the life that he's lived and why he's lived it. I don't think that anyone is ever going to get to the bottom of Dylan because I don't necessarily think that there is a bottom at all. Um, I mean, not to like <laughs> be too poetic about it or whatever, but like, I, I don't think Dylan is so much of a well as he is like a river or something, something that's, you know, constantly moving. Con even if there's no end goal in sight, it's just constant movement. I don't think you get to the bottom of someone who's doing that kind of movement so consistently. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. I love that. He's a river, not a well. So he's he's horizontal, um, not vertical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, that isn't to say that there isn't a whole lot of depth to that river, certainly, but but you know, it just it, there there's always more to it. Yeah. And you know, to put um that kind of weight, I guess, on one center in Tulsa, Oklahoma is a pretty tall order. I mean, I'll add just for the record that I was very impressed with the center overall and everything that it um includes and stands for and everything like that and i'm I, I think it's fantastic but it is just one building in tulsa oklahoma at the end of the day yeah i i went with a friend who's a, a casual dylan fan um you know, mm -hmm. certainly not he probably won't even listen to this but um we he he was i thought he wasn't enjoying it and he was just yeah. absolutely fixated on it um, yeah he didn't want to move he was just he was looking at everything it really can capture every every aspect of Dylan fandom from the most casual fan to the the most um, crazed fan. Totally, it really hit the sweet spot between those those two kind of groups of people the the avid fan and the not so much. And I I didn't necessarily think that was possible before I went, but it it is. They did it. Yeah, they did it. <laughs> <laughs> so your journalism ranges widely across um, classic rock, I would say. And, and I understand that's the, the name of your journal as well. So would you categorize Dylan as classic rock or is that he somewhere else? Is he another genre? It, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, like from a like plain categorical perspective, a professional perspective, yes. Like I, I understand, of course, that music of this kind does in some sense have to be grouped in some way and like if, if you put a gun to my head and you made me do it like that is probably where I would place Dylan um to put Dylan in any sort of box is already kind of a fool's errand but um that's what I'd have to say I mean the phrase classic rock in general has kind of taken on this sort of strange connotation over the last couple of years I think specifically you know classic kind of implies that there's this stagnation to it that I don't I don't necessarily see. I mean, we're still having a lot of these conversations. It, to me, it reminds me kind of of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame conversation and, you know, about who belongs in what categories and why and what their actual influence means and to whom and, you know, all of those different things. Um, and I have certainly never been a purist in that respect. And so, I mean, I would probably put Dylan in as many boxes as possible. But you know, from, I guess, an economical standpoint, <laughs> from a numbers standpoint, you'd, you'd have to put him in that box. Okay. And, it, you know, so if Dylan's dedicated manager, Jeff Rosen, called you up, said, 
Allison, <laughs> Mr. Dillon said he would take one question from you. What would that question be? Why? <laughs> <laughs> why you or why in general? <laughs> I guess both. Yeah, like why? Just, just I want to hear all of it. Why? Um, I've thought about this quite a bit because people have asked me, you know, kind of similar questions. And, you know, on the one hand, I, I, I kid, but also it's like, you know, they say don't meet your heroes. <laughs> and I kind of have that sort of feeling about it. Um, but to me, I mean, the most interesting answers that I read from Dylan are the answers to things that are pretty mundane and kind of boring. Like, you know, I'd probably ask him something like, what did you get for Christmas? <laughs> or like, what movie did you see last? Or something of that nature, you know, instead of something too retrospective. I feel like I it would just, you know, it wouldn't necessarily go as well doing things too retrospectively. Um, I'm interested more in those kind of like very simple, average, everyday questions that I think, I mean, the very virtue of Bob Dylan answering something like that, I think would be a really enlightening thing. And gosh, one question would probably lead into a whole monologue from him anyway. So. Oh. <laughs> unless, unless he didn't like the question. <laughs> unless he didn't like the question. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's okay. Right. And much of the monologue may be entirely fabricated <laughs> or, or oh, well. somewhere else. <laughs> so, yep. Yep. That yep. Well. And that in and of itself would be pretty interesting, though. Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What other music do you listen to besides classic rock and Bob Dylan? And Every once in a while, I'll go through a pretty heavy like jazz phase. Jazz again. OK. Comes yeah. up every time almost. Does it? It's so interesting. I um I just recently saw Bill Frizzell at the Blue Note here, so I've been like really into him and his albums lately. Um, I'm also really into a lot of your um, you know, contemporary female singer songwriters who are out there making records today. I'm gonna see Brandy Carlisle in a few weeks, um, Margot Price, Amanda Shires, Emma Swift, um, Casey Musgraves, Brittany Spencer, a lot of those women who are kind of in the like country americana rock scene um i think there's some really incredible music being made by those people today so i've been listening to a lot of that lately yeah there's a lot of a lot of richness there a lot to lot to explore i've got to ask you a follow-up about jazz though because it's just <laughs> like i said it's unbelievable how many times jazz has just come up spontaneously during these interviews and i'm i'm frankly yeah. getting a little fascinated by it i'm a, I'm a big jazz head myself um and have been for a very long time so what what sort of jazz you said bill, bill for sale what what other sort of jazz are you attracted to a lot of the you know john coltrane a lot of the classics miles davis dave brubeck um it's kind of a it's funny i know i said earlier that i'm a very lyrical person but maybe be, because i'm a writer especially when i'm writing like i have a very hard time writing with music that has lyrics to it um so jazz was kind of like a natural avenue for me to take um and I have this kind of like running joke that like people around me know that like if there's a Dave Brubeck album on, it means like I'm really focusing on what I'm doing <laughs> because I, I kind of need the like, I like having the background noise on and I love the kind of like rhythm and energy that I can get from a record like that without having any of the words, um, you know, kind of infiltrate that. Yeah. J jazz actually got me through, uh, you know, undergraduate and grad school pretty much yeah. while I was writing. Exactly. Yeah. So I've, I've found that really um, productive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's just that creative totally. energy. You can't, it, it, yeah. it becomes a yeah. contagious. Really improvisational, you know, just like, yeah, I, that, that's been the most helpful. Yeah. 
Interesting. So what what is the connection um, between, you know, uh, female Mar- Americana, contemporary Americana and jazz and Dylan, if any? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, part of me kind of doesn't see a connection at all. And part of me almost kind of sees the value in like having this separation between the things. A couple of those people that I mentioned, like I know, you know, like Amanda Shires and Margot Price are really big Dylan fans and they've talked about Dylan, you know, in interviews and stuff like that. Um, and you can hear there's a very palpable influence in a lot of those people's music. Um, but I, I, it sounds kind of cliche, but I do really think that all roads kind of lead back to Dylan in a sense, in terms of like, a, you know, as a songwriting phenomenon. I think that I remember reading an interview from Tom Petty, like a couple of years ago, where he was talking about like this influence of Dylan's songwriting and the interview had asked him, like, were you influenced by Dylan's songwriting? And he kind of scoffed and was like, yeah, like everybody who's ever written a song has been influenced by Dylan's songwriting, you know, like it's that um, present, like in our cultural consciousness that you can't really write a song without incorporating some of those elements. And I think that whether or not you are actively trying to embed some of that lyricism inspiration or like whatever it is, it's it's there in a way that like there's only so many artists I feel like in the last century or so who have had that kind of like grip on culture the way that Dylan has. I think the Beatles are one of them. I think David Bowie is probably one of them too. That, you know, you can't really create art without some of that influence being present in it. So um, those women that I mentioned, I mean, even if they didn't necessarily grow up on Dylan or or have cited him as a direct influence, I think it's, it's, it's there. Wow, that's great. You'd have to ask them too. I mean, I'm sure that they could, <laughs> they could probably explain some of that, but you know, it's such a personal thing too, you know, obviously incorporating that influence into their, into their own writing. But um, that's just what I hear as a listener perspective. So you have anything else you want to tell us about your, your relationship with Bob Dylan? I guess the only other thing that probably is pretty telling about me as a fan is that last year I took my own little Dylan pilgrimage to Minnesota, which sounds kind of crazy when I say it out loud, <laughs> but I took a few days and I went out to, um, Minneapolis and I hung out in Minneapolis and did kind of a little walking tour of some of the Dylan related things there. And I drove up to Hibbing and I drove up to Duluth and I spent some time up there. And I, <laughs> one of the funniest things that happened to me, um, in Hibbing, which if anyone has like any knowledge of Hibbing knows that it's like a teeny tiny little town, like one street, like there's nobody there. <laughs> and so I rolled into town on like a Friday afternoon, there's nobody there. And I went into this little, um, antique shop around the corner and um bought a couple of items and i asked the woman at the counter i was like oh do you have any lunch recommendations because i'm just in town from new york city like i don't know anything here and she gave me a couple and uh she said what are you what are you doing in town from new york city which is a pretty valid question to ask somebody coming to hibbing i said oh i'm just checking out some bob dylan stuff and she said oh uh one of the women who uh, works here, she went to high school with him. And she said it so matter-of-factly, like it was, you know, like an everyday thing that she talked to people about. I was like, you're kidding. She said, yeah, like she's not here right now, but, you know, she talks all the time about how, like, he was so quiet and so weird and, like, doesn't, you know, had no idea at the time that he was going to end up blossoming into this this global superstar that he ended up becoming. Um, and I just found it so interesting that to this day, like in the year, it was 2022, you can go back to Dylan's hometown and still like, you know, there are those threads still there. Obviously that's not always going to be the case, but it was, it was really fascinating to me. Um, Cause I think to a lot of us who 
love Dylan. He kind of encompasses this huge, broad, grand idea. But in that moment, it was like, it was really real and it was really local. And it was just about this one person who knew Dylan in high school. And it was a very special experience for me. So I guess that was just something I wanted to share. <laughs> no, that's great. I love that. He walks among us. He does. He does whether we realize it or not. He does. <laughs> yeah. And every now and then you'll run into somebody who knows him in some weird way. Crazy. Um, there, there's a woman locally here who I, I know a little bit who um actually met him when she was a kid when he was laid up in and with the doctor in, in uh, Middletown after his oh motorcycle crash. And I, I think I'll get her on here someday. Yes. I want to hear that story. He didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> Seems to be the consensus. <laughs> oh my gosh, too funny. Well, this has been this has been wonderful, Allison. This has really been great. I've been happy that you you came on. So thank you very much. Oh my gosh, yes. It was an honor. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Dillantons Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to receive the Dillantons directly to your inbox. And please share on social media.